In the weeks before the curtain falls on 2016, editors and reporters are madly making lists. Not of gifts they wish for, but of stories from the last 12 months that they can't forget or stop talking about. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. 2016 has made an indelible mark, of course, in politics, in war, in sports, and in theater. The world has watched the rise of Trump and the fall of Aleppo, and we have learned to say that Brexit means Brexit. For some of the stories in publishing from the year that almost was, Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me again as he does each Friday. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, indeed, Monday's issue for Publishers Weekly is the last of the year, and by tradition, it's a very big one. And starting uh, with uh, what comes out to, to be the cover story and the uh, the lead story is PW's Publishing Person of the Year, who is... And drumroll, please. Uh, our 2016 Publishing Person of the Year of Publishers Weekly is someone most of us all know very well and greatly respect, of course, Dominique Rocca from Source Books. Uh, now, honestly speaking personally, Dominique could have won this honor many times in the past uh, because those of us who know her and know her work know that she's an innovator and someone that's really unafraid to experiment. So congratulations to Dominique Rocca, and you can read all about her accomplishments as well as profiles of other notables, uh, finalists, you might call them, uh, on the PW website, or of course, in Monday's print issue of the magazine, issue number 52, the final issue of 2016. Well, on behalf of Copyright Clearance Center, we join you then in congratulating Dominique Rocca, who's been a past guest uh, on Beyond the Book. And another big feature in Monday's end of the year PW is your annual Top 10 Library Stories of the Year, which is part of a preview for the upcoming ALA Midwinter Meeting set for January in Atlanta. So tell us a little bit about what made the list this year. Yeah, so you know, it's always a really fun feature for me to do the top 10 stories, and it's a, a great chance to look back at the year that was and to sort of look ahead at what's on the horizon in 2017. And one of the big stories for libraries in 2016 is also one of the big stories for pretty much the world, and that is the implications of the incoming Trump administration. And while it remains to be seen uh, how a Trump administration is going to treat libraries, one thing is for sure, librarians are pretty anxious about the future under a Trump administration. Well, I, I suppose I can understand a bit about that anxiety, but you can tell us more, I suppose. Uh, uh, Trump, though, as a candidate, never spoke about libraries. Uh, and as uh, incoming president-elect, he hasn't had much to say about them either. Uh, so what's the cause for concern? Yeah, that's true. He really has not spoken about libraries pretty much you know, at all. But he has certainly expressed views that I think have raised red flags in the library community. Uh, he's railed against the press, for example. Um, and he's often had, so we say, a casual relationship with facts. Uh, he's even alluded to or his subordinates have alluded to uh, fake news stories, which are of great concern to librarians. He's suggested that the U.S. needs to close up the Internet to fight terrorism. Uh, he's advocated for extreme public surveillance. Uh, and he's professed, you know, not to be a reader of books, which may horrify librarians more than anything. Uh, as president-elect, his move so far has suggested that he would support gutting the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, and the FCC, of course, administers the E-Rate program, which is the government's largest educational technology initiative and is responsible for connecting many of the nation's schools and libraries to broadband. Trump has also said to favor rolling back net neutrality, and his nominee for Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, has raised concern among school librarians about their future. So 
you know, all that said, uh, you know, concerns about a Trump administration actually run deeper than just, you know, policy or funding questions. You know, there have been a spate of disturbing incidents around the country following Trump's election, including at libraries uh, in Kansas City, for example, and at the Evanston Public Library in Illinois, where books on Islam were defaced and swastikas and hateful messages uh, were left inside them. Many librarians, I think, are more wary of their most fundamental values coming under attack in this sort of you know, Trumpian world now, uh, including you know, intellectual freedom and diversity, uh, privacy, social responsibility. You know, I think one story is particularly illustrative, and that's shortly after the election, a draft memo from ALA leadership was mistakenly released in which ALA leaders said they looked forward to working with the Trump administration to meet common goals. You know, that memo was swiftly recalled, but not until after it had really touched off a firestorm of reaction from ALA membership. On her blog at Inside Higher Education, uh, Barbara Fister, who is really a terrific writer, she's at St. Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota, uh, she wrote that, you know, this sort of please don't hurt us rhetoric was a cringing act for her to witness. And she said that librarians can't partner with an administration that won on a racist, Islamophobic and homophobic platform. Uh, she went on to say that pretty much every value that librarians stand for is on the line here, and they have to stand up and fight for those values. Uh, and of course, shortly after the election, Internet Archive founder Brewster Call announced that he was going to start a plan in motion to make a complete copy of the Internet Archive and to store it in Canada. We just don't know what's going to happen, is what Carl said. And I think that sentiment's been echoed even in some government agencies in re recent weeks. For example, we've read about climate scientists uh, busy copying their data because they're very concerned that it may be altered or lost. Now, we don't know if that's actually going to happen, but as you can see, there's a lot there for librarians to chew on. Indeed, there is a lot to chew on, a lot to worry over. And what else has made the top 10 library list this year? Well, you, you won't be surprised to know that there was quite a bit of copyright-related stuff on the list this year. Uh, for example, we had the end of the Google case. Uh, we had a second victory for Georgia State University in its long-running e-reserves battle with publishers. But, of course, we also have another appeal uh, now looming in that case. The new librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden, is all over this issue. In fact, her historic appointment, which we talked about at length on this show in the past, an appointment that was almost scuttled by politics, well, that's actually tops of the top 10 library list this year. And we also have an interview with Carla herself in our uh, School and Library Spotlight, which is also in Monday's issue. Uh, and also, Hayden's first major move as a librarian of Congress was to oust the Register of Copyrights Maria Polante. And we also have that included in our top 10 list. And of course, Representative Bob Goodlatte and John Conyers just uh, last week released their first policy proposal for copyright reform, something that's been uh, long awaited after about two years of study on their committee. And the first thing out of the gate that they're recommending is to make the Copyright Office an independent agency. Well, yeah, that news broke just after we recorded last week. And I'm going to have to guess you have more details about that report and about the proposal from Goodlatte and Conyers. Sure. So the proposal at this stage, we should stress, is non-legislative, uh, and written comments are now being solicited, which are due by January 31st. Uh, but my sources on the Hill got in touch to stress to me that this is a, a long way from actually happening. You know, first of all, as we learned uh, last year, there's quite a bit of opposition to an independent copyright office uh, within the library and the tech communities. So, you know, while the content industries largely support the move, uh, there's sure to be a lot of discussion about 
this proposal on the merits. Uh, but a few other things kind of strike me about this proposal too. And the first is that you know, it seems like there's a cart and horse thing happening here. In other words, you know, why are we debating the creation of a new copyright bureaucracy first uh, with all these new positions and new budget lines? And we haven't even yet had the discussion about updating the Copyright Act. So I don't understand why we would create a new federal bureaucracy before we would even know what that bureaucracy might be tasked with doing. Uh, we know some things that they might be doing because they're doing them right now. But still, it seems like uh, we're, we're putting the cart in front of the horse a little bit there. And two, you know, it isn't like copyright is necessarily high on the list of priorities for the incoming Trump administration or the incoming Congress. But you never know. I mean, things could happen quickly. Uh, and for me, the most newsworthy part of the announcement from Goodlot and Conyers is that uh, it's time clearly for them to move things forward. And they stressed that this uh, proposal was actually the first of many to come. So we should start seeing a lot more proposals on copyright reform in 2017. Well, well, Washington has been a place where not a lot has happened in the last few years, but things are starting to change and and people are certainly going to be watching as the big change happens, as the uh, next president is inaugurated just about a month from now. And the AAP, the Publishers Representatives Association based in D.C., has sent uh, to President-elect Trump uh, a letter urging him to engage with them on copyright reform and enforcement issues. Tell us about that. Yeah, so on Thursday, AAP's Alan Adler uh, sent a public letter to Donald Trump and his transition team offering uh, congratulations on his election from uh, the AAP members. And he urged him, as you say, to take up intellectual property enforcement issues once he's in office. Now, nothing really new there, of course, uh, but the timing was interesting. You know, just as Trump sat down to meet with tech leaders in New York City on Thursday, uh, and notably, Adler kind of took a shot at the tech industries and the library community, claiming that some threats to the publishing industry were, and, and I'll quote from the letter here, exacerbated by the conduct and rhetoric of some in the internet-based services and consumer technology manufacturing communities. Uh, translation, that's Google and Apple uh, and probably Amazon as well. And also, he you know, mentioned, that, like I said, the library, education, and archival communities who he said share a common self-interest in continued advocacy to minimize the effectiveness of copyright protection and enforcement. And I don't think that the library community would find that a fair characterization of where they stand on the issue. But okay, none of this is surprising, right? Um, in my, but in my own humble opinion, and I was getting in trouble when I expressed my own humble opinions here, not speaking for PW, I have to say I found this letter to be surprisingly tone deaf because uh, you look at the concerns expressed by other groups, say the American Library Association or Penn or others, writers groups, even the Authors Guild or authors themselves, uh, and you listen to what individual publishers are saying. I know I've heard it when I've gone to lunch with publishers, and they are more concerned concerned with the president-elect's attacks on the press, on issues of diversity, and things like the rise of fake news, and all kinds of troubling issues that have been prominent uh, in Trump's rise to power. But none of that is really addressed here in the letter, except in maybe a glancing mention. Now, we know AAP wants stronger copyright enforcement, and they know they want to crack down on some of these issues. But you know, I just found that a little tone deaf that they wouldn't come out in their one letter that they're going to get to write to Trump before he becomes president, to his transition team, that they wouldn't express a few more concerns uh, about some of the issues that are actually troubling rank-and-file members. So, you know, that's my two cents on this. But Alan Adler promised more proposals to come in the first 100 days of Trump's administration. So we'll see where things go from there. 
Indeed we will, and reporting on the intersection of policy and publishing this week and every Friday on Beyond the Book is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. My pleasure, as always. Coming up next on Beyond the Book, when it comes to digital technology, the story for publishing, and especially copyright, is all about the disruption. Now, content creators are seeking refuge in the positive application of some of the same technologies that attacked them for the last two decades. On January 24th, the 8th Annual One Day Conference, Copyright and Technology explores what works and suggests promising directions to pursue. Bill Rosenblatt, president of New York City-based Giant Steps Media Technology Strategies, is once again the conference program chair and co-producer. He told me what attendees should expect to hear. Blockchain is one of the sort of flavors of the month, if you will, for uh, technology activity, VC investment, startup activity, and so forth. And in the uh, copyright industries, there's a lot of attention in two fields. One is music, and the other is actually visual arts. In music, it's really being looked at primarily as a solution to what you might call B2B problems in the music industry. A conference preview on copyright and technology, next on Beyond the Book. As 2016 approaches its close, Beyond the Book co-producer Jeremy Brisky and I are compiling highlights from interviews with publishers, authors, analysts, and technologists over the last 12 months for a trio of special programs coming to you December 26th, January 2nd, and January 9th. Keep an eye on your device for those shows, and Andrew Albanese returns Friday, January 6th. Happy holidays and best wishes for 2017 from Copyright Clearance Center and me, Christopher Keneally. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.